Park Free Minute, we'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel, One Minute at a Time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to discuss minutes 18 of Jurassic Park Free. David, ready to get into it? Sure. Alright. As we end minute 17 of Jurassic Park Free, the Kirby's charred aircraft had arrived at Isla Sauna, but not before a warning came over the radio that the plane was in restricted airspace and needed to turn back immediately. As we open on minute 18, after Udesky turns off the radio, he flips some switches on the dashboard, and we cut outside the aircraft as the Jurassic Park score begins to play, and the plane approaches Isla Sauna above the ocean. At the 10 second mark, it crosses the beach and enters a large, tall valley, and continues flying into the interior of the island. At the 30 second mark, we cut inside the plane as Amanda and Paul look out the windows, seemingly searching for something. Out Amanda's window, she can see a small jungle river, partially covered by foliage. At the 40 second mark, we cut back outside the aircraft as it lowers to about 100 feet above the trees and begins to cruise above the open plains of Issel Sauna. Back inside the aircraft, Billy and Alan look out another window and see a herd of triceratops and other dinosaurs grazing in the field. Grant smiles and says, My God, I'd forgotten. And as the minute ends, we cut high above the plane looking down at the grassy fields as Stegosaurus, Triceratops, Brachiosaurus, Pachycephalosaurus and Parasolophus all run in different directions, startled by the plane flying overhead. Last minute we've seen Udesky turn the radio off and interrupt the uh, incoming transmission they were receiving. And uh, just then we start to get the Jurassic Park arrival at Nublar theme begin to play as we cut outside the plane. And it descends on the island. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a lot of, a lot to talk about this minute because it's just going to be a lot of plane flying around. But it sort of here again invokes the arrival to uh, Nublar just in the, the, the theme, the song playing. Yeah, yeah, even though it's sort of a slightly different angle, and it is a completely different coastline, but they found the same similar triangular rock outcrops out to sea, and the same sort of we're going to enter via this big wide valley. Yeah, and it's interesting because for the Lost World, it had a very, very different kind of just general tone about the island. Mm. Even going so far to have like the cinematography represent the island with this kind of pale green kind of olive drab look to it and then they don't bring that back for the sequel for the same island so you kind of get confused because with Isla Nublar you gotta whenever I watch Jurassic Park I have to remember I remember just how beautiful they showed the island there I mean the it's just a beautiful tropical island you can see why John Hammond uh chose it but with Isla Sorna is just dark and dingy, and it's just everything that Isla Nublar is not. And then they bring more of the Isla Nublar look to the island than Isla Sorna. Yeah, well, even in Jurassic World, you just get a lot of that sort of lush, different vibrant greens in the grasses and the jungle itself. Even going back to the start of the, minute, start of the movie where they're just in the ocean parasailing along the side, and just how green the cliffs are where as you said like the arrival to sauna on the barge it's just everything's muted dark we still have the clouds the clouds are still here but um it's not as mysterious and that's that's sort of one issue i have is it's not supposed to be 
bright and cheerful Nublar like we've seen before. We've, we're going back to sauna. We know it's the lost world. We know it's sort of the darker, darker place. And mm-hmm. for the, pretty much the whole movie, even when we do get into the jungle, even though it's sort of made to be more old, it's still pretty vibrant in its colours, greens. More so because they've got mm-hmm. all the lighting inside the stages, I suppose. But it, um, yeah, yeah. I will remember though that um, I think it was for the. It was an advertisement for the collector's edition for Jurassic Park and the Lost World when it first when they both first came out on DVD, with those collector box with those collector box sets. And they, I th- at the end, I think at the end of them, they show this clip of the plane. I remember specifically this clip of the plane being at the end of one of those com- those commercials, and it says, "Win a free trip to the set of." Um, Jurassic Park 3 and then they showed the Baryonyx logo <laughs> uh, an artifact left over from early marketing so yeah this was this might have been one of the earlier parts of the movie actually finished with filming not done and then processed to be used in early uh, promotional mm. yeah we know they filmed they spent two days filming all the exterior stuff of the island with the uh, the parasailing in here with the plane on the approach as well. So it was probably one of the earlier things they had done mm-hmm. long long before the uh, the script rewrites and that because they knew they had to get to the island somehow. Well, they also kind of booked that stuff like way in advance. You know, they mm. have to talk to Park. Like I think um, some of the. Some of the, uh, I'm not sure of all of it, but a lot of the principal footage for the uh, Spinosaurus scene was done at a national park in Hawaii, or yep. in Kauai. And just some of the shots of them running around around uh, before they're, it's kind of interlaced between that and a set. And so I remember reading in the Winston effect that they had the park rangers watch heavily watching them because they had so many kind of rare flowers and stuff on, the, on this <laughs> place that they didn't want to they wanted to make sure nobody stepped on anything or got any uh like height like any kind of oil or anything on the ground at all so they had to be like utmost clean when doing wow. principal photography <laughs> well that's it they even just get all the permits and that to do, do oh, stuff yeah as well. too because when they do this, like I said, they do they book it way in advance, and then they have to do location scouts, and then they have to do you know, mm. I think they might have actually went back to New Zealand for this one again before script changes happened and they were kind of forced to build sets. Yeah. Well, there's also this sort of the local, the local indigenous communities as well. Sometimes it's on it's on land, and you go do the um. Oh, I can't remember what you call it now. You've got to sort of acknowledge, acknowledge them and sort of seek their permission to film as well. Yeah. But we do get a couple of great shots here of it sort of coming in, using the this valley to get past the cliffs on the outside of the island because we do see the sort of the cliffs start to uh, start to drop a bit and open up to some nice large valleys, and we sort of get that vista of the inside interior sauna. 
we cut inside the plane as Amanda and Paul look out the window and we get a brief shot of Amanda looking through the window down at the Jungle River that's um, nice and enclosed on both sides with dense dense foliage, which sort of raises the question, if they're here looking for someone in the script that's described as they drop down 100 feet off the ground, so they're not going to see... Or there's a lot of jungle whipping past underneath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with, um, they're, they're hoping that uh, Ben and Eric are going to have some sort of signal if a plane does fly over, but... Well, it would have been smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if if there was some sort of signal, surely that Coast Guard plane would have spotted it as well. True. But then if there was no... Uh, if they didn't track or didn't spot the parasailing boat, then they'd have no idea that anyone was on the island to start with. Mm-hmm. So they might not even be looking, they're just there patrolling. But yeah, as I said, that sort of... A plane drops down above the treetops and is flying along and um, back inside Billy's looking out through his window and we start to see animals, uh, green triceratops, a pair of parasolophus, and um, they're the same sort of yellow as what we see in the Lost World, so it's definitely males there and even the triceratops have got sort of that green stripy tiger stripe pattern like we see sort of on the Trenosaur, um, which mm-hmm. would again, that's sort of the design they're going for the males of the species, male animals. I- I think it's kind of funny how you can tell they filmed this in, like, a middle of somebody's field. <laughs> because when you look around, you can see straight lines of trees where they're denoting the different fields like you would see in the Midwestern United States. Mm. Yeah, the land's definitely been cleared. <laughs> I, wonder if, um, I wonder how much CG work was done just removing tracks or fences or any sort of man-made man-made objects um we'll get to one shot later where one man-made object definitely wasn't removed and i don't think it's power line it's supposed to be power lines for the island but we'll get to that when we get to the airstrip it's funny because in the first jurassic park you kind of you kind of get the same thing in um the triceratops paddock you just get that kind of kind of like a three foot tall barbed wire fence Mm. between between the triceratops and the cars and that was just some farm road they decided to roll down and film on. And then you see later, when the, in, during the Gallimimus uh, stampede, you can see a service road off in the back that's <laughs> clearly not supposed to be there. And as we've discussed before, especially Fallen Kingdom, how sort of um, they snipped seconds off either side of shots just to tighten tighten the film a bit where... Here, so well, they're the same thing with the Triceratops fence. Like a couple of seconds off them approaching the area, would have completely removed that fence from the from the film. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Grant smiles and says, "By God, I'd forgotten." And Billy smiles as Grant looks out through his own window, and we cut outside the plane this time high up above it, as the um the plane's flying over large herb of herbivores, and that Jurassic Park theme playing playing along in in the background, but uh, there's sort of a large number of animals here. We can see the Stegosaurus, Triceratops, um, Parasolophus, and it looks like a lot of Pachycephalosauruses are sort of running around in that sort of scared animal like the Gallimimus would be. Mm-hmm. And as the minute ends, the score reaches its peak and the animals sort of scatter in all directions, spooked by the plane, is flying low, and um, we see some slower-moving Brachiosaurus as well. Now, the prevailing theory on these Brachiosaurus so far has been that they are actually a different genetic breed than the ones we first saw in Isla Nublar 
Now, that theory does have a lot of good strong points, but I'm still rather partial to the idea that there are a bachelor herd that we see, and that there is just a bachelor herd like what we see in large mammalian animals, such as elephants, where you'll just see a whole herd of all males, you know? Well, and that the, the, the sort of gap definitely gets a lot bigger when we get to later on on the river where we see a lot different looking brachiosaur where that that I'd put up more to a different version number than here where these are probably just males and we've only seen the females before. Again, just saw that bit of a colour dif difference and not so much more design difference or different look. True, though they are somewhat differently designed. They are... Uh, to put it mildly fatter. <laughs> <laughs> they, got, they got more bulk than the ones we saw on Isla Nublar. Bigger on, a lot more food. True. Alright, so why me? He said we needed someone who'd been on the island before. Yes, but I did not tell you to kidnap somebody. I have never been on this island. Sure you have. You wrote that book. That was Isla Nublar. This is Isla Sorna. Site B. In the novel, Grant sort of wakes up sleepy and sees the island below, and Billy says to him, admit it, you're excited. And Grant retorts, I admit no such thing. <laughs> and, um, and then again, the, the plane sort of sharply descends down to the island and levels out about 100 feet above the treetops. Now, I do like that they kind of um, expanded this more than what the script originally had. It's only because Jurassic Park 3 is what I like to call a Jurassic Park film on speed. It doesn't really let you stay and savor everything. It, like, for example, in the lab parts where you're, where they're standing around in the not in the Lost World novel, they had so much, in uh, they had so many scenes just in that lab, dissecting everything, understanding what was going on on the island, and we really never get that in the films. Mm. In Jurassic Park three, you had the perfect moment to introduce it. And it just doesn't. It feels like it's a lot of what I have the same kind of criticism for Fallen Kingdom, where you just get like little tastes of scenes. You never actually get to stay and kind of savor the moment. You just, it feels like you're being jumped from scene to scene to scene. And as somebody who has written fan fiction, I can, I kind of can understand this, if only because when I've written fan fiction, I do know that I kind of, I have a story I want to tell and I want to get through the kind of the boring parts to kind of get to the good <laughs> parts of the story. Mm. And I feel like that's what's being done here. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. So you, you have a scene in mind that you want to do, you want to sort of try and get to that as fast as you can and sort of just fill in the gaps between the scenes. And that's pretty much what they've done with the script here too, where they had scenes they wanted to do. Hell, I think they even had the, the animatronic, Pteranodon's done before they even have the, the Avery scene fully planned out, so it's just, a, it's just and we will see definitely later on where some some jumping between scenes doesn't really work or is lost in script rewrites, but it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely what the film feels like whereas, even in Jurassic Park where you got the, the quieter moments between the action, mm -hmm. um, you got Hammond and Ellie discussing Petticoat Lane eating ice cream, you got Grant and the kids in the tree talking about do you think he saw us? And or sort of even even in between the big action moments, you mm -hmm. still got stuff happening and the story is still progressing. So yeah, 
But, nah, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anything else on Minute 18 you want to discuss before we get out of here for the day? Uh, no, I think we're good. Alright. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or Heaven could get me on that island. you Desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to Mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.